Let us turn to Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Let's hear the Word of God. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with a tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Take us the foxes, the little foxes, that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies until the day break, and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. May God bless the reading of his sacred and intimate word to our souls. Dear church family, Martin Luther once wrote this, The Lord's Supper is given as a daily food and sustenance so that our faith may refresh itself and not weaken in the struggle but continually grow stronger. The devil is a furious enemy when he sees that we resist him and attacks the old man, and when he cannot rout us by force, he sneaks and skulks about everywhere, trying all kinds of tricks, and does not stop until he has finally worn us out, so that we either renounce our faith 
or yield hand and foot and become indifferent and impatient. For such times, when our heart feels too sorely pressed, this comfort of the Lord's Supper is given to bring us new strength and refreshment. Now, when that Lord's Supper does that, by the grace of the Spirit, as we trust it has been done for many of us this morning, that renewed strength, refreshment, encouragement, is also designed to make us long to know Christ even better. Refreshment works in us a desire for more refreshment. Strength works in us a desire for more strength. And that's what we want to see tonight from the words of our text in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 17. And our focus will just be on this verse tonight. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. With God's help, I want to bring you a message tonight on the bride longing for the bridegroom. We'll look at the bride's longing for the day to break, for the shadows to flee away, and for the felt presence of Jesus Christ. Our text talks to us tonight about a very relevant subject, the subject of love. Actually, it's the subject of the entire book, isn't it, of Song of Solomon. And that subject, of course, as you well know, plays a central part in every generation, but in a particular way, in our generation. Often we hear that teens and young adults may go astray on account of never having experienced a home atmosphere where there was love. It's not always the case, of course, but certainly it's one of the foundational causes for teen problems in our modern society, the lack of love. It's also a critical subject for married people, married life. If one or both partners in marriage withhold love or seek affection elsewhere, Serious breakdown in the marriage will occur. And it's an important subject for the elderly as well. I've been in many nursing homes in my life where people have said to me that some of the elderly there seldom get a visit from anyone and they are starving, as one nurse told me, starving for love. Song of Solomon is a book about love. It begins this way, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. And the whole book really is a dialogue between two who love one another. The greater Solomon, Jesus Christ, and his bride, his people, those who love him because he first Love them. And we don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to be embarrassed in any way by this old-fashioned interpretation of Song of Solomon. That it's not just about the relationship 
between Solomon and his lover, but that it's ultimately about the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride. Actually, all throughout the Bible, this theme is prevalent. In Psalm, in Psalm 45, we're told of Jesus, who's the fairest among the sons of men, and in his right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. She's the true church of all ages, of all nations, the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. It's talking about marital love. Isaiah, God says, thy maker is thy husband. Ephesians 5, we're told that Jesus is bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. And this is a great mystery, but I speak of the union, the marital union of Christ and the church. And of course, in the book of Revelation, the whole book involves this marital union in one way or another. John sees New Jerusalem descending as a bride adorned for her husband. And in the closing chapters, we read of that utopian marriage in heaven, Revelation 19, where the bride has made herself ready and is dressed in fine white linen. You see, all of this is expounded in greater detail in the Song of Solomon. This is not a song to be avoided, a song to be embarrassed about. It's a song of spiritual intimacy. It's a sacred song that openly displays the love between Christ and His church in this life as well as implicitly in the life to come. It's a song that will lead us deeper into our relationship with Jesus Christ. To see that He's more than a Savior and more than our Lord. He is actually our faithful, our perfect our utopian husband. And that is what our text is getting at tonight. Song of Solomon 2, 17. It begins this way. Until the day break. Until the day break. It's common in Scripture to have the day refer to the time when the glory of the kingdom of God shall be revealed. When Christ comes on the clouds, He is the great daybreaker so that the day of all days will break open. The day of eternity. It's also common that Scripture talks about the present day as a time of night. The present age is compared to night. The night is far spent, Romans 13, 12 says. The day is at hand. So nighttime refers to the present state of society as opposed to God. That's abundantly clear. The day actually has several different meanings in Scripture. Let me mention just a few of them to you. Sometimes... The word day simply means the day of God. It stands in contrast to the evils of man that abound in society. Today we live in a daily holocaust 
of unborn children slain in their mother's womb, a day of crime and wickedness and lasciviousness and immoral sexuality. All of this begins to the day of man, belongs to the day of man, or shall I say the night of man. But the day is coming when God's judgment will dawn, when man will be silent, and God will have the final, final judgment over all that has transpired in the course of human history. And so the bride, you see, longs for that day, that day of divine vindication, the day when God will make all wrongs right. Now, if you're a true believer, you feel some of that, don't you? You feel the oppression of the darkness of this present age. If we follow the news closely today in America, we can easily get depressed. It grieves us to see how God is despised, how His law is trampled underfoot, how His word is forgotten, how His Son's name cannot even be mentioned in public discourse, or scarcely is. So much is said against God as Creator of heaven and earth. The name of God is bandied about, sworn against, used in an evil way. God's creative acts are reduced to evolutionary powers at best in many circles. And everywhere, God is mocked. God is marginalized. God is excluded. Not so long ago, we were walking through Butterworth Hospital, and there was a a young man who walked by, and he had a t-shirt on, and it said mockingly, here today, in big letters, then in smaller letters, in hell tomorrow. What audacity. You see that and you just, you grieve for his soul. You, you grieve for the glory of God, don't you? And you say, until the day break. Oh God, let the day break. Let thy kingdom come. Let this audacity, this bold rejection of God be put away. Oh, the amazing, amazing patience of God. But also the day refers to the day of Christ, the day of redemption, as we heard this morning for Ruth, Ephesians 4, 29. This day will vindicate all those who by grace are faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That day is coming when he will come in the clouds and he will vindicate his own through his own blood, through his own redemption. And that's why if you walk through a graveyard, uh, wherever you go in the English-speaking world, you will often find gravestones with our text tonight written on them. In fact, I think it's probably all the great... I I love to walk through graveyards, by the way. It's very good for the soul. And I I love to see the text that believers put on their gravestones. But I think this is the most common of them all. Until the day break and the shadows flee away. 
Oh, Lord, I long for that day. Lord Jesus, come quickly. This is the groaning. This is the, this is the breathing, the longing of a gracious soul strengthened by the Lord's Supper. We long for the eternal Lord's Supper. We long for the everlasting communion. We long for that day when there will be nothing that will interrupt or intercept our communion with God in Christ again. When God's kingdom will come in full. You see here, It's seldom for God's people. Noonday sun. Yes, the light has dawned. Yes, we are children of light if we're born again. But it's not light compared to the light that's coming. To the day that's coming. Thy kingdom come. That's the longing of the bride of Christ. 2 Timothy 1.18 We long to have that fulfilled. The Lord grant unto him that he may find the mercy of the Lord in that day. That day. See, here we taste of mercy. It's sweet. We have glimpses and glances of Christ that are precious. But in that day, it will be once and for all, noonday, sun, because the sun of righteousness will be the light of heaven himself. Oh, what a glorious day. For the wicked, of course, no sin will be left uncovered in that day. But for God's people, the day will break. God's kingdom will come. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be a clear day. It will be a bright day. It will be a victorious day. It will be a joyful day. It will be an eternal day. I love what Samuel Rutherford says in his letters several times. He's writing to people. He'll say this, And that day you shall have your fill of Christ. No more seeing through a glass darkly. No more partial communion. No more just glancing moments of communion then drawn away by the world again or by my own wicked heart. But you shall have your full of Christ. You were sometimes darkness, Paul writes to the Ephesians. But you are now light in the Lord. That happens. That happens in the moment of regeneration. And the light grows brighter. And the darkness recedes more and more as we learn to live more and more out of Christ. The sun of this world has set for a true believer. And he longs to live in the sunlight of Christ. But oh, in that day, the day of the Lord, It will be richer, fuller, broader, deeper, perfect, like never before. Compared to the light of eternity, our light in this life is but the dawning of grace. But the dawning of grace will give way to the daylight of glory. Colossians 1.12, give thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The inheritance of the saints is in light. The eternal day. Thomas Boston put it so quaintly, as Jacob married to Leah, got not a full view of her till the morning 
So the believing soul married to Christ does not get a full view of her husband till the day of eternity breaks. What a day to get Christ full and free forever, perfectly, until the day breaks. Here there's so many shadows. Here there's still so much darkness, so much confusion. So the bride, you see, doesn't only pray that the day will break, but she prays that the shadows will flee away until the day break and the shadows flee away. It's like one thought, actually. How many shadows there are still in the life of the believer today. This world is not the paradise that God created, not even for believers who've been renewed. Having seen something of Christ as the light, we feel the shadows all the more. Because compared to Christ, the light of the world, the shadows contrast themselves and become the more dark. Oh, what are those shadows? Well, there are several of them I want to, I want to give you. If you're a child of God, you'll be able to identify with all of these. The first is this. Our imperfect knowledge of God. Our imperfect knowledge of God and of the mysteries of faith. Even of the most advanced, Paul says, we know in part. But when that which is imperfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. A blessed day when the part shall be exchanged for the whole. When my knowledge of God will be far more perfect than it ever was. Far more rich than it ever was here on earth. I've been talking quite a bit the last few weeks to a, a dear brother pastor uh, down in South Carolina who just lost a very God-fearing wife. And he's incredibly lonely. Incredibly lonely. I've been trying to encourage him. And one of the things I said to him just last night was I said, my brother, think about where your wife is. You've studied theology all your life. You've studied the knowledge of God all your life. And she knows far more about God now than you do. The theology of God, the love of God, the knowledge of God, her Savior. And that's just the soul enjoying communion. One day the body will as well. The whole man will know God far better. The least in heaven will know God far better than the most advanced here on earth. You see, if you've been quickened, strengthened, refreshed this morning, your response ought to be, oh, to know Him better. To have more knowledge of this Savior in my soul, the shadow, the shadow that I know so little of Christ. When he's so rich and so full that the world could not contain the books that could be written about his fullness and richness. Oh God, let the shadow of my imperfect knowledge be replaced 
with a much greater perfect knowledge of this glorious God. A second shadow is our own infirmities. And we've got a lot of them, don't we? Many of us have physical infirmities. Health shadows our earthly life. The body fails. The health is in decline. We're in a, unable, unable to be what we once were, in vigor, in strength. Just being at the deathbed of Ori van der Boon the last few weeks as pastors. Ori was always so strong, wasn't he? Amazing. I can still see him, actually, running even, running through these church pews to, to go see someone over there. When he was 85, I remember saying to someone, look at him, he's, he's running at 85. Now he's broken, dying. It's a shadow. Life is a shadow. Our, our health is a shadow. It disappears. We long to serve God with unclouded mind and with redeemed body in the strength and fervor of all our zeal. But we're often hindered by our own body. Paul says, we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. But there's also providential shadows in our lives, crosses, it can be big shadows, the loss of a loved one I just spoke about, or having a rebellious spouse like Job, or for grace to plead God's promises while bowing under his providences. How many shadows God can wisely, mysteriously put in our pathway. Octavius Winslow wrote this, Remember that in the providences of God, the believer is passive. But with regard to the promises of God, he is to be active. And so God gives us shadows of promises, providences, so that we may wrestle to lay hold of his promises. But there's still shadows. But then there's not only our infirmities in the physical and providential realm, but also the spiritual realm. The biggest shadow of all. It's my own indwelling sin. I ought to serve God perfectly. But as Paul says, to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would not, I, the wood I do not, the evil which I would not, that I do. Though sin is no longer a reigning principle in my soul. It is still there as a rule, as a law, Paul says, clinging even to the most advanced. So that even the most advanced has to cry out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Have you ever said to the Lord, I am my own greatest shadow, my own greatest enemy, my own greatest obstacle? Hasten the day, Lord, when the shadows shall flee away. And then thirdly, there's not only our imperfect knowledge and our own infirmities, but there is this evil world together with Satan and his followers, a persecuting world that is like a shadow. Many of you 
work out in society and you're, you're around swear words every day and ungodly comments and how oh, you come to church on Sunday morning and you just feel like you're being washed from all the filth that you've gone through during the week. The world's a nasty place. Woe is me, said a psalmist, that I sojourn in Mesek, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. Hasten the day, Lord. I'm weary of this world. I'm weary of sin everywhere. Hasten the day when the shadows flee away. And when Satan no longer buffets me and tries me, puts temptations relative to my bosom sin in the way, until the shadows flee away. And then fourthly, lukewarmness. Lukewarmness can be a huge shadow. Our proneness to backslide. My people, my people, God says, are bent to backslide from me. To lose heart for God? The living God who's never done them any ill but only good? What a, what a monstrosity of wickedness. How could we ever get cold in prayer to such a God when prayer is a gift beyond anything this world can give us? How can we be indifferent under Scripture or under sermons or under preaching? Scripture is a means of grace to lead us to life everlasting. Lukewarm towards God? Back up in verse 9 in our chapter, it says, My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. You see, through the lattice of the means of grace. Through the Bible, through preaching, through prayer, through communion with the saints. We, we get glimpses, we, we get opportunities to, to get to know God, to get closer to God, through the Word of God. But oh, we long to see Him. And to, to not slacken, to not grow lukewarm. It's possible to be sitting in church and get more lukewarm. It's possible to be at, sitting even at the Lord's Supper and get more lukewarm. What a shadow. Oh Lord, let me sit under the apple tree and let thy fruit be sweet to my taste. Don't let me get lukewarm. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let every shadow of lukewarmness flee away. And then fifthly, there's a shadow of a sad condition often of even the church. Worldliness in the church. Unbelief. Lukewarmness there too. Division sometimes within families. Even among God's people. Relationships strained. Alienation. Lack of corporate prayer. What a shadow. Even estrangement between believers sometimes. Paul. Paul can become separated from Barnabas and Luther from Calvin. What a shadow. Psalm 41 verse 9 is. My own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which to eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Oh God, hasten the day when the church will be perfect in glory. When heaven will be a perfect world of love and every shadow will flee away. And the sixth shadow is the monster unbelief. The captain in the city of Mansoul that 
is the mother of all sin. How often a believer has to cry out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. It brings a whole train of fears along with it that crowds in upon my soul. I fear I will perish one day at the hand of Saul. Hasten the day, Lord, to mature my faith and to take away the shadow of unbelief. And then the last shadow I would mention, though there's many more, are just fears of death and judgment or fears of maybe I'm not a child of God after all. And oh, what a shadow these things can be. It can be the valley of the shadow of death in all kinds of shades. Death itself, of course, is a king of terrors. God's people are not always able to look over the Jordan to the captain of their salvation who fought and overcame death as freely as they desire to do. I've often noticed that believers who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s speak, uh, speak quite lightly about death many times. Even in the 60s. They say, well, I, I really won't want to live to be 100. I won't want to live to be that old. I, I, I want to go to be with Jesus. But then they get up in the 80s and they don't want to die. And they get 90 and they don't want to die. You see, there's a shadow. Dying is not easy. Dying is the king of terrors. And yet, the fear of dying is often worse than dying itself. Cotton Mather said on his deathbed, I have feared death a thousand times in my life, but now must, I must say, is this all it is? Now, obviously, one believer goes through a much deeper way than another in dying. And some deathbeds are, are just awful. Other deathbeds are, are wonderful. But fears of death and of judgment can be a shadow in the life of a believer. Now, some believers, of course, face more shadows than others, also in their life. John Bunyan called one man in his Pilgrim's Progress who faced a lot of them. He called them Mr. Fearing. He was always fearing, fearing the shadows. But what we need to remember, you see, even though we long for the shadows to be gone, the shadows are only temporary. The day is coming when every shadow will flee away. That's the good news. Now, shadows normally don't, don't move too quickly. On a bright summer day, you notice shadows, but they, they move slowly like the hand of a clock, don't they? But on this day, when the day breaks and the Lord Jesus comes on the clouds, when the Son of Righteousness arises with healing in His wings, every shadow shall flee in an instant, and Jesus Christ shall enlighten His people to all eternity. What a glorious prayer. What a glorious desire. Lord, let every obstacle between Thee and me flee away. All difficulties, all depressing thoughts, all doubts, all fears, all imperfections of light, all worldliness, all sin, all unbelief, all corruption of nature, all tears, all wounds, all cares of this life, all temptations and trials, all desertions of God, all backslidings, all church troubles, all imperfections, all death. Hasten the day 
when the shadows will flee away and the day will break. And that day, no means of grace will even be needed because the object of grace, Jesus, will always be present. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb, the Lamb, is the light thereof. The Lamb is the day. The Lamb is essentially heaven. The Lamb is our eternal future. And so that perfect salvation in that perfect day, engaging in perfect activities of perfect worship and perfect fellowship, in a perfect place with perfect mansions and a perfect God and perfect light, in perfect communion with the triune God, ultimately is all about Jesus Christ and through Him the triune God. Forever in shadow-free heaven, basking in His smile, bathing in His glory, feasting in His presence with never a shadow again. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or young heart upon the mountains of Bether. What a graphic image. What a graphic picture of Jesus. The bride says, I long for the day to break, Lord Jesus. I long for thy coming again. I long for the shadows to flee away. And now she turns directly to Jesus and she says, Oh, my beloved, be thou like a young roe or a young heart. It's like probably in today's language, a, a gazelle. Be like a gazelle or a young heart is like a young deer. Be like a young heart, a young deer, a, a, a gazelle leaping over the mountains. Bether. The word Bether means separation or division. You see, in, the, in this life, the bride or the soul of God's child often feels separation, often feels some distance from Jesus due to my sins, due to my lukewarmness, due to all those shadows I was talking about. But what the bride says now is, come leaping over all those shadows, all those mountains of my sin, all that divides me from Thee, Lord. All that puts something between us. Come over all of that. Like an, like a nimble gazelle. Like a young deer. Come leaping over it all. And speak to my soul. I am thy salvation. And show me thyself. Let me see thy presence. Let me feel thy presence in the reality of my soul's experience. Jesus can come over our mountains of separation in a moment, you see. That's what the bride knows. Despite all the shadows, despite all the obstacles, come over all my mountains I've erected that separate us. Reveal thyself to me here and now. Show me thy face. Let me see thy lovely countenance. Before the eternal day breaks and before all the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, here and now in this life, 
Turn thy countenance. Turn thy face of favor to me. Visit me again with thy salvation. Come speedily. Like a roe or a young heart. Thomas Boston says, the stress here ought not to be laid on the speedy meeting of her motion to him, but on the free grace upon his motion to her, by his grace coming over the mountains set between us, and that speedily, because he can work everything in one moment. It's the passionate desire or prayer of the church the believing soul, that Christ will return to her in all the manifestations of His love. And while she continued in any state of separation from Him, He would be to her as the row and young heart upon the mountains, pleasantly refreshing, hastening His presence to her. A young row, a young heart, is known in the Bible as a peaceable animal a pleasant animal, a swift animal, one that can step over mountains with ease. This is a graphic picture of Jesus. And when we sup with Him in the Lord's Supper, you see, and we leave the Lord's Supper, we don't go back into the world and say, well, we got that done now. We got the Lord's Supper done for three months and now we can settle on our lees and grow lukewarm again. We spent a whole week preparing and now we, no, no, no. What we say when we leave the Lord's Supper is, oh, I want to sup with Him more. I want to know Him better. Come over all my shadows, all my mountains, Lord Jesus. Let me love Thee so much because Thou didst first love me. I can find no other comfort in my nighttime journey through this waste howling wilderness than Thyself as the light, as the young roe, as the gazelle, as the heart. I pant after Thee, O Lord. Come over all my mountains. I'm too weak for the journey myself. I'm too prone to error. The enemies are too strong. All of life is empty without Thee. O come over it all. Come over all the brokenness, all the mountains, all the obstacles. I want more communion with Thee. That's what Lord's Supper should do to us. More communion with Jesus. Thomas Boston said there are really four degrees of communion with Jesus. I don't, don't take these as, as too, too carefully defined, like you move from step one to step two. But he says it's one thing to desire Christ and to be yearning for Him. It's another thing to have the faith of adherence in Him. That's, that's, that's an old-fashioned word the divines often use, where your trust is in Him. You can say, though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. And yet you don't always have full assurance of hope and faith. And the third degree, he said, is that exercise, that exercise of assurance and hope that clings to him. And you can then say, as the verse says before, verse 16, my beloved is mine and I am his. And you've got that robust assurance. But even with robust assurance, Boston says, you can have times where you're lukewarm. You can have times when Christ is distant. So the fourth degree, he calls it the sensible enjoyment of Christ, where faith, that robust assurance is active, embracing Him, being embraced by Him, 
laying my head, as it were, on the Master's bosom, drinking in His Word, full of life, full of zeal, sensible enjoyment of Emmanuel, drinking in the riches of His names, His offices, His states, His person, His beauty, His glory. He's altogether lovely. It's like in any good relationship, isn't it? There's, there's ebbings and flowings of love. You, you, you love your spouse, you love your child, you love your parent. But there are times you have a sensible enjoyment of that. When that love is so great, you can't put it into words. And that's what he wants. That's what the believer wants. That sweet communion with Christ that I can't explain to anyone. But I could never deny. Oh, come, leaping over the mountains, skipping over the hills. No, it doesn't mean if I don't have that, I don't have anything. It doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. Oh, far from that. Don't go down that road. That will just bring you into greater darkness. But do go down this road. I want to know Jesus more. I want to commune with Him more. It was wonderful this morning, but I want more. I want to be closer to Thee, Lord. True religion is more than notion. Something must be known and felt. You see, the bride goes right on after our text. In the very next three verses, By night on my bed I sought Him whom my soul loveth. I sought Him, but I found Him not. I will arise now and go about the city and the streets and the broadways. I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. And then the bride goes around the city and says to the watchman, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth? doesn't mean she didn't have a relationship with him. But she didn't have that sensible enjoyment at that moment. She wanted more of that. More of that sweet communion. She was restless until, until that communion was back. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, as Job says it. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down in thy presence. Come over all the mountains. Take away everything that separates me from thee. Be like a roe. Be like a young heart. Return again, Lord Jesus. Well, let me close this sermon by giving you just a few applications. First to you, dear believers, it's, uh, it's still nighttime, though it has dawned. But it's not the noonday sun. The day has not broken yet. Christ has not come on the clouds. So it's a time to beware. It's a time to beware of backsliding, of stumbling. It's a dangerous time in this world. You need to use the means of grace, the spiritual disciplines, Carefully, diligently, dependently. You need to observe closely the hand of providence in your life. Be tender in your walk before God. Labor to keep a tender conscience. Walk circumspectly. Happy is the man that feareth always, the Bible says. Think more of what God thinks of you than what people think of you. See grace to make use of the pillar of fire. It gives light in the night of this wilderness. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Believe that. Depend on that. As a stranger and pilgrim here below, expect tribulation. 
but look to Jesus. And remember, all your shadows, all your afflictions are but light compared to the far more exceeding eternal weight of glory that is coming when the noonday sun comes in the sun of righteousness. And you'll have eternal rest. There is a rest for the people of God. The rest is coming. The day is coming. Jesus will stand on the shore. Look to the east. Expect Him. He's coming. The day will break. Your prayer will be fulfilled. The shadows will flee away. And you will bathe your soul in heaven's full, unclouded, endless light. Octavius Winslow put it so well in his poem. Soon and forever the breaking of day shall drive all the night clouds of sorrow away. Soon and forever we'll see as we're seen and learn the deep meaning of things that have been. When fightings without us and fears from within shall weary no more in the warfare of sin. Where tears and where fears and where death shall be never. Christians with Christ shall be soon and forever. Soon and forever the soldier lay down his sword for a harp and his cross for a crown. Then droop not in sorrow, despond not in fear. A glorious tomorrow is brightening and near. When, blessed reward of each faithful endeavor, Christians with Christ shall be soon and forever. It's coming. No more shadows. And all because Christ bore every shadow under the thick olive trees of Gethsemane and on the cross of Calvary so that in heaven there will be no more shadows. No shadows at all. It will all be perfect light. It's worth the battle. The day is coming. And all the mountains shall be made a plain in Him who is the light, the daybreaker, Jesus. But for you, my friend, when you're not saved, you, you're invited. You're invited to this Savior. But you too face many shadows in your life. And one of your biggest shadows is that you're not ready to meet the Lord. And I think you know that. And many of you are burdened with that. It's a hard burden. Every night you go to sleep. You don't know if you're going to wake up. And am I ready? Am I ready to meet the Lord? It's not easy to live that way. And the tragedy, the tragedy is if it doesn't change, just as in heaven there's no shadows, in hell there's no light. It's all darkness. It's all dying yet never dead. It's all agony. It's all mountains, no plains, no friendship, no communion with anyone. You really can't go on the way you are. You need this Jesus. And he invites you. He invites you just as you are. Come unto me. 
It's the very last invitation of the Bible. I think you know it, but let me read it again as I close this sermon. It's the very last invitation of the Bible, Revelation 22. And the Spirit says, come. And the bride says, come. And let him that hears say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. It's right there. Believe the Bible. And just as a poor, needy sinner, just fall before the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm not ready to meet thee. My life is full of shadows. And I don't have the daylight. I don't have the light as my portion. I need Jesus. Lord, I'm unworthy of it. A thousand times unworthy. I'm just hell worthy, but I come just as I am. Have mercy. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Him who cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Try him. Test his promise. Fall upon him. He won't let you down. He's wonderful. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. He's in the business of saving sinners. It's his favorite thing to do. You're a sinner. You're eminently qualified. Because the only quality you need is to come as a lost, hell-worthy sinner. Come as you are. And you pray. Let the day break and the shadows flee away. Come, Lord Jesus, like a robe, like a young heart. Upon the mountains of separation that I have erected, speak to my soul. I am thy salvation. Amen. Gracious God, we thank thee so much, so much, for the longings that thou dost put in the hearts of thy people. The longings for the day to eternally break and for the shadows of sin and all that's connected to it to flee away. And especially for the longing to have more communion with Jesus. A longing that will be abundantly fulfilled in the last day. But let it be more fulfilled here and now. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, over all our mountains of separation that we have erected and have mercy upon us. Come easily. Come lightly, skipping as it were, over the mountains. For thou art almighty. And come as our salvation, as our Emmanuel, as our Lord, and as our husband, as our altogether lovely bridegroom and bless us with a sensible enjoyment of thy presence. In Jesus' name, amen.